The biggest problem is there's virtually no control over it. There's no limits on it. Uh, police departments use this stuff however they want. Uh, it's it, There has to be limits put on this stuff or we're going to find ourselves in a place we're never going to be able to get out of. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here at CorbettReport.com in a conversation that is being recorded on the 7th of January 2020. And welcome back to the podcast for another year. And I, in the hope of starting this year off on something of a positive note, I do have a good conversation lined up for you with a, a great guest that you will be familiar with if you are familiar with the Corbett Report archives, because he has been on the Corbett Report several times in the past, mostly to talk about nullifying the NSA, a very interesting and important idea that I think it would behoove you to familiarize or re-familiarize yourself with. So if you are not familiar with that, I will put the links to those previous conversations in the show notes for today's conversation. We are talking, of course, to Michael Meharry of the Tenth Amendment Center. He has a blog there that I've been following recently on a very specific issue that we're going to be talking about today, namely facial recognition surveillance technology and the pushback against it. Thus, the positive note that we can uh, start the new year off on, hopefully. Uh, Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for coming back on the program. Yeah, as always, thanks for having me on. It's uh, you know, it's interesting because, like you said, we talked about NSA uh, in previous episodes of the show, and uh, the facial recognition issue is kind of a microcosm of the broader surveillance issue, and, and it actually ties into the NSA and. Uh, some of the things that are going on at the state and local level would actually have some impact at the federal level if uh, you know people will pay attention to what's going on at that level. So I'm interested and excited about talking about this specific issue. Yeah, well, so am I. So let's uh, so let's start putting it out on the table for people. And in the show notes, I'm going to link up a bunch of your recent posts on your Tenth Amendment Center blog that you've had on this subject, including Alameda, Alameda, California takes first steps towards banning facial recognition. Now in effect, California law bans facial recognition on police body cameras. Three and counting, Northampton, Massachusetts passes a uh, facial recognition ban. And San Diego shuts down massive facial recognition system to comply with new California law. So lots of movement happening on this front around this facial recognition technology. But before we get into the specifics of these different uh, bands that are going into place, let's talk about the, the idea in general of facial recognition, because as we just talked about off air before we started rolling here, this is an important issue that I think is kind of sneaking up on people. I don't know if people are aware of just how pervasive facial recognition technology is becoming and what the implications of that are. So let's let's talk about this issue a little bit. Yeah, it's a good example of what you get as the surveillance state expands, you know, uh, mission creep, so to speak. And it kind of started years ago with cameras. You know, we started seeing cameras everywhere and uh, and people were mostly not concerned about that. And uh, and then we realized that, you know, the computer technology would allow uh, these cameras to track you from place to place and maybe you know, essentially cyber follow you. And now we've gotten to the point with facial recognition technology that uh, government agents can actually follow you uh, and identify you from camera to camera to camera, record that data, keep where you've been, what you've been doing, log all of this information about you, uh, pick you out of a crowd if, you know, they decide they want to look for you. And, you know, people, you start talking like that, people say, well, you know, Mike, you're paranoid and, and nobody's going to do that. Well, this is exactly what's going on in China right now. 
And uh, I think to a lesser degree, it's also going on here in the United States. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times this stuff is used uh, secretly. And the, the problem with it, again, is it's it's so invasive. There are virtually no limits on it. Um, and it's one of these things that, you know, you can find out more about following a person's location than you can reading their emails or listening to their phone calls. And most people would be completely freaked out, uh, you know, if they knew that the government was reading their emails. Uh, this is much more invasive, much more uh, of a violation of your privacy. And it's something that's just expanding rapidly. And for people who don't really know the technology, I mean, a lot of us have it on our phones, right? You know, you hold the phone and your phone recognizes your face. It essentially maps features, uh, on your face and allows a camera to identify you and pinpoint you at a given location at a given time. Uh, beyond the privacy violations, another big problem with it is it doesn't really work very well, particularly for uh, minorities, uh, black, Hispanic, those t uh, darker complected people. It doesn't tend to read as well. Uh, they actually did a thing out in Northern California where uh, they ran a bunch of uh, state legislators who were African-American through the system and <laughs> tagged a bunch of them as uh, as criminals, not them, but of, of different criminals because it just can't read those features. So, you know, a lot of problems with this technology and uh it's one of those things, again, that you know people tend to kind of just blow off because, well, it's not a problem for me. I don't really care. Uh, you don't care until you really start to recognize the invasiveness of this. And, and the people who care now are immigrants uh, and people who are political, political activists, you know, Black Lives Matter, people who are doing things that the government doesn't particularly like. They're being traced with this technology. Uh, and so, you know, it's easy to say, well, it doesn't matter to me, but, you know, that moment that you start becoming an anti, uh, you know, gun control advocate or whatever political issue it might be, uh, you may quickly find that it does matter to you. That's exactly right. And of course, as you point out there, we do we do run into the risk of falling into the trap of simply critiquing the technology itself. It's not accurate enough, as if the real basis right, for this is, oh, if accurate. only it were more accurate. No, of course, right. that's not what this is about. And uh, you do gesture to that in your writing, for example, pointing out something called the Perpetual Lineup Report that was put out a few years ago. Tell people about that. Well, yeah, that's the that's the thing where it really starts to get creepy. You know, we can talk about, yeah, government agencies, police departments have this technology and, uh, you know, people will think, oh, well, they just use it to find bad guys. It's no big deal. But they're actually using this technology and creating a massive federal national database that utilizes state, local and federal uh, resources. It actually pulls photos from Department of Motor Vehicles in a number of states. So in effect, it does put you in this perpetual lineup. It makes you essentially always a suspect. And the biometric database, I and mean, when I say biometric, this would include other types of things like there's voice recognition, there's technology now that can read your stride and your gait and identify you, that are starting to come up with software programs that purport to be able to tell if you're a threat, you know, by various body motions or mannerisms. That stuff is crazy creepy, you know. Uh, it, again, it's putting you in a perpetual lineup. It's making you a suspect from the moment you walk out your door, tracking you, logging you, and, uh, you know, the, the potential, 
a good stutter there. The potential for a uh, a tyrant to utilize this technology to control the population is is already exists. I mean, we've had technology since 1974 when the Church Committee, you know, Frank Church, who is a senator, said that even at that time the surveillance state in America was big enough and powerful enough to allow somebody to exercise total tyranny. Think about that, 1974. And here we are in in 2020, and we have all of this technology. And again, the biggest problem is there's virtually no control over it. There's no limits on it. Uh, Police departments use this stuff however they want. Uh, There has to be limits put on this stuff, or we're going to find ourselves in a place we're never going to be able to get out of. Exactly right. And I think something that puts that in people's face for people who are unwilling to look at this issue is to see the way this issue is treated in the mainstream press regarding the facial recognition infrastructure that's going into place in China, where it is presented as this big, uh, tyrannical big brother threat and look at the persistent surveillance. But it's completely elided that, oh, well, a lot of the same technology is in place right now in the United States and elsewhere in the Western world. Yeah, they won't use it bad here. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which is which is extremely naive to to be uh, I think even gracious about it because uh, the surveillance technology that has existed has been used. You know, ask people that were in anti-war movement in the '60s. You know, they tracked in in uh, spot on Martin Luther King. Uh, we know for a fact that government was used, used government facilities to target people in the Tea Party movement. So, you know, and, and with facial recognition, we actually know for a fact, and this is the first time that we've really put together the way that the uh, local police and the federal government work together to operate in this technology and gather information at one of the free speech free speech rallies in Berkeley, California, not long ago, the uh, Fusion Center there in Northern California cooperated with the Berkeley police to put facial recognition on cameras and record people who are at this po- uh, protest, both, uh, you know, they call them right-wing protesters and Antifa, whatever label you want to put on it. People that were at this protest were tracked with facial recognition, and this information was stored in a federal Fusion Center, which means it's basically a federal database that's uh, Uh, can be accessed all over the country and probably all over the world, to be honest with you. All right. Well, let's switch tracks a little bit to some of the the progress and and potentially hopeful things that we've been seeing in recent uh, weeks that you've been writing about uh, diligently at the 10th Amendment Center blog. Again, all of these posts will be linked up in uh, the the show notes for this conversation. So please go and take a read through them and you'll start to see that uh, a lot of this is centering around uh, San Diego and California, but also, as you point out, in uh, New Hampshire, uh, sorry, not New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Also, Portland, Oregon, as you say, is looking at uh, considering similar bans. So this is starting to catch on. Talk about the legislative bans that are coming into place regarding this technology. Right. So, you know, as I mentioned before, so much of this technology is used without any type of limits whatsoever. Um, and a lot of people are recognizing that this is a problem. And what we're seeing right now are a number of communities, as you mentioned, primarily uh, concentrated in California, Massachusetts, but also in some other areas as well that are are saying, you know, we're not going to allow this technology to be used, at least for the time being, until we get some parameters around it, until we get a grip on uh, how it can be used effectively without violating people's privacy, without violating the Fourth Amendment. Uh uh, California, like I said, has been uh, – it was kind of the place where it really got started. And, and you know, it's interesting if you look at what is driving the, uh, the, the movement, this local and state effort. 
It's primarily in places where there are large coalitions of people working together to stop it, uh, oftentimes with very divergent uh, political ideologies, uh, particularly in California, a very broad-based um, uh, coalition of folks that's pushing for limits on not just facial recognition, but surveillance in general. And, uh, you know, it's it's libertarian groups, it's far left groups, it's conservative groups that are all concerned about privacy that have set aside these other issues and said, you know what, we're going to work together on this because this is an issue that we all care about and we feel like there should be limits on, on this power. So, you know, it, it shows the importance of cross party line type of coalitions, which I think is very important when you get into political activism. But uh, like I said, right now what we're seeing is is a lot of outright bans. Uh, a lot of these are temporary, so they'll sunset at some point, but at least puts halt on things for now and, and will create a situation where we can say, okay, how can this technology be used? How can we protect people's privacy? How can we make sure that this data is not being stored in huge databases for anybody to access whenever they want to and track folks? You know, What type of limits are we going to put on this technology? So very, very important. And this is a, an example of how work at the state and local level can impact the federal surveillance state. We talked about the perpetual lineup. Uh, the FBI has, you know, they're, the plan is out there. They want to create a nationwide facial recognition database. They need state and local cooperation to do it. You know, they don't have facial recognition cameras everywhere. They depend on the Berkeley police. Uh, they depend on, you know, the police in Somerville, Massachusetts. So when they stop using facial recognition, when they start uh, saving this data or stop saving this data, or collecting the data even, there's no data to save. So you can't put it in a, a, a massive database. So this actually impacts the federal surveillance state by taking action at your local level. It's a bottom-up approach to uh, what is has become a, uh, a nationwide issue. I've lost your sound. Sorry, I had my mute on. I've only been doing this for 12, 12 13 years? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you can't expect me to be a, a pro at this. Uh, as I was saying, uh, oh, yes, this connects back into the, the nullify the NSA idea, as you were saying at the beginning exactly. of this conversation, because in that same way, a bottom-up approach, the NSA relies on, for example, the Utah uh, infrastructure, the energy infrastructure, water right. infrastructure to cool and power its, uh, its facilities in order to create its massive database of information on the American public. It's same for the federal agencies relying on all these different state and, and local law enforcement to provide all the details of the these cameras to them. Um, exactly. In a sense, it speaks to the power of the local uh, activists at local level really being able to direct the federal because so much of the federal government's power comes from cooperation and going along with the system by the local and, and state governments, right? Yes, you hit the nail on the head. The federal government depends on state and local action for almost everything that it does. Uh, and in fact, if you remember, this was this has been a number of years ago, but it was I think it was like 2013. It was one of the government shutdowns. And uh, one of the association of states, uh, they actually put out an email and said, you know, the, the federal government uses the states for almost everything. And, and so this gives us tremendous amount of power at the state and local level, because if the state and local actors aren't acting, 
then a lot of stuff doesn't get done. Like I said, if you know these local police departments aren't collecting facial recognition information and storing it in a database, there's nothing for the federal government, there's nothing for the FBI to access. And it's the same with all of the surveillance technology. You know, we can talk about the Stingray devices that uh, that can sweep up uh, cell phone communications, uh, or you know, putting warrant limits on when state and local police can get into the cloud and collect data and information, or uh, automatic license plate readers, which you know, very similar to the facial recognition, these license plate readers can pinpoint you at a given place and and create a map of, of every place that you've been. So all of these technologies, if they are limited at the state and local level, prevents data from being dumped into these massive federal databases uh, that exist. And, you know, I'm not just being paranoid or, or making these things up. You can go look up fusion centers, look up the uh, uh, ISN, it's called inf- or ISE, Information Sharing Environment. Uh, these are federal networks that they put together for this type of information sharing back and forth between state and local governments uh, and the federal government. So shut that stuff down at the state and local level. If there's no data to share, there's no data being loaded into these uh, federal databases, and we're having a, a, a much broader impact than just your local community. But now, to be clear, these different city ordinances and state bills are focused primarily on or specifically on the law enforcement use of facial recognition. Right. This doesn't really have to do with the broader context of the pervasiveness of this technology in its corporate context. Right. That's that's very true. And, you know, I tell people all the time and, and I understand people who are concerned about the the corporate uh use of this type of technology. Uh, it doesn't concern me nearly as much if the government can't access. I don't really care if Walmart uses my, uh, well, it's not that I don't care, but I'm less concerned about Walmart using my data to sell me junk than I am the federal government using data to track me and, you know, potentially mark me as some kind of terrorist and, you know, lock me in a cage at some place down the line. Uh, so, to me, the, the first step, limit, it, the, limit the collection at the state and local level. And when you do that, the, the thing that's crazy about it, and, and of course you're going to go down a wormhole here that we don't have time to really talk about, but uh, police departments use these Amazon uh, databases and the ring doorbells and all of these things. Uh, government agencies are accessing all of this stuff. So when you put limits on it at the government level, it stops that right in its tracks. Uh, the way these ordinances are worded, it's not just that the police can't use the technology. They're not allowed to gather it from outside sources either. So uh, you're slamming the door on that. Um, you know, I'm not an expert in, in the uh, corporate aspect of it, and that would be uh, – uh, to me, that would be – a step down the road, because like I said, to me, the, the biggest concern is government using this uh, because government has guns and can lock me in a cage. So, so you can confirm that uh, these different bans also include the uh, prohibiting of using the, the information from collected from third party sources. Yeah, absolutely. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. Important. Yeah. Yeah. The way they're worded basically is that you can't use the technology and you can't use information that has been gathered using this technology or they use the word obtain and obtain is a very important word in, in legal language uh, because it bars them from obtaining. <laughs> so that's that's a positive. And, and we always look for that when we're doing any type of surveillance related legislation, uh, you, you know, whether it be ALPRs or stingrays. We also not only don't want them using the technology, we don't want them obtaining this information from other sources. And, you know, from that that back and forth between state and local and federal government, if you have obtained 
in the verbiage. They also can't obtain facial recognition information from the FBI or, uh, you know, these these other organizations at the federal level who may be gathering it and passing it that way. So, you know, basically builds a wall, a wall of separation, as Thomas Jefferson would have said. A, a very important wall, because that is an important tactic that I think the uh, the various uh, law enforcement agencies have thought about, is using third-party collection as sort of a proxy so that they don't have to do the dirty work themselves. But if they are... Right, well, it's cheaper. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's cheaper, but it also, it also helps to line the pockets of their, uh, their uh, corporate cronies and and other things. So, in fact, that is a very important wall. Um, I, of course, am a realist, so I know that this is going to be flagrantly ignored at various levels. But when it inevitably comes out, oh, my God, they were actually doing this anyway. At least there will be criminal prosecutions that can result from that. Right. And and that exactly, you know, that's exactly what what happened in Berkeley. Uh, they, they had an ordinance on the books that prevented uh, the use of this type of technology without local government approval and the local government never approved it. They kind of bypassed that by going to the fed, the feds. And, uh, it, it was much more impactful when that was discovered because the ordinance was on the books. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not naive enough to think that this is going to stop it in its tracks, but, um, you know, these are the steps that we can take to exercise some control over what's going on and, and to, uh, you know, start driving a wedge into the surveillance state. You know, it, it's it's easy to become very hopeless about it because it is so pervasive, and so many people will say, "Well, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear," which is absolute garbage. I hate when people say that. Well, just give me your bank account details. If you have nothing to hide, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you have nothing to fear. Well, I've I've told people this, and uh, I was actually involved in some local activism where I lived before in Lexington, Kentucky. I ended up getting sued by the uh, local government. Uh, because they don't want to reveal secret cameras that they have or any information about these cameras. But uh, when I would do radio appearances, I would inevitably get that pushback, you know, if you have nothing to hide. And I, every single time I challenged people to download the browsing history, I told them how to do it. Download your browsing history. Don't edit it. Send it to me. I'll put your name on it and publish it on my website. And to date, I have never gotten anybody's browsing history. I don't know why. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, yeah. right? Huh. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I, 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 always, I always emphasize that you can't delete the porno. Yeah, you have to leave the porno on there. But uh, you know, no, everybody actually values privacy. You know, and uh, people say these flippant things, but they don't really mean it. I mean, that's why we have curtains on our windows. That's why we put locks on our doors. It's why we don't let people into our email. We all value privacy. It's it's really, to me, part of what it means to be an autonomous human being. That we have certain things that we have control over that are off limits to the outside world. And uh, government has to have a very damn good reason to breach that. Uh, natural right. Of course, they do it all the time. And, and that's what we're trying to stop. Well, then just to add one more wormhole to this conversation before we draw things to a conclusion, I will uh, point to the, the again, the fact that I don't think people realize how integrated all of this facial recognition structure is becoming. And uh, we get a sense of this from an article that was just posted on uh, TechDirt a couple of weeks ago. San Francisco amends facial recognition ban after realizing city employees could no longer use smartphones. And it goes on to say that essentially the ban on facial recognition made so that uh, city employees weren't able to access their own state, city or state-issued uh, phones because they were using the face ID and that was integrated into the apps that they had to use for whatever jobs they were doing. So literally they had to amend their own ban so that people could use their own phones just going to show how how pervasive this already is. It's already yeah. becoming difficult to separate ourselves from this infrastructure. 
kudos to San Francisco for actually amending the ban instead of just saying, oh, well, we're going to ignore it. I mean, if this was the federal government, they'd just say, oh, well, we, we didn't really mean that. So we're just not going to do that part of it. Uh, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it is such a huge, uh, a huge aspect of, of the world around us. And, you know, we did some reporting. Uh, it's been a while back and I don't remember all of the specific details, but, uh, you know, Detroit a number of years ago set up this whole camera system. They have these these little green lights on them so you can see where the cameras are. And it was touted as this crime prevention program. And, you know, most people were for it because, as everybody knows, Detroit was a uh, cesspool of crime and, and has had all kinds of problems. So people felt like, oh, this is protecting us. This is, you know, for our safety. And then all of a sudden, you know, it comes to pass that, oh, my gosh, they're using facial recognition with this and they're tracking people with this. And then all of a sudden people started to get a little bit creeped out about it. And uh, now there's a real strong pushback in particularly in minority communities, because unfortunately, minorities are often the folks to get targeted with this stuff. Um, and I always tell people, though, you know, it, it's only a matter of time before you're a minority. And, you know, I, I've mentioned before, I, I it, oddly, people on the left tend to get it sometimes better than people on the right. People on the right tend to trust the police and trust the government and uh, folks on, on the left maybe have a little bit more experience where they don't quite have that tr uh, trust in the government institutions. But, uh, you know, I tell people on the right, you know, think about gun control. The surveillance state is going to be an integral part of any kind of gun control that ever comes down the pike. Um, that's how they're going to track you. They're, you know, they're going to put their little license plate reader or their facial recognition camera outside the gun show, and they're going to record you, and they're going to put you in a database. And they're probably already doing it, truth be known. And uh, you know, that's how they're going to do gun confiscation because they're going to know that you have a gun because they've been tracking your license plate and your phone and your, all of these types of things. So, you know, whether you're on the left or the right. You have things to be concerned about with this type of technology where it can be seriously used against you in a way that would be uh, very detrimental to your liberty. Well, I come at this as a Canadian in Japan who has never lived or, or grown up in an environment that at least gave lip service to the idea of freedom from government and privacy and all of that. Those those fundamentally American ideals, or at least what is sold as the, the sort of American ideals. I, I never grew up with that. I grew up with the socialist Canadian conditioning that the government is there to love you <laughs> and all of that nonsense that I had to break out of over <laughs> right. a period of time. Um, so it is a shame to watch as, unfortunately, so much of the American public seems to be duped or lulled into this sense that, don't worry, it's just the, it's just a picture. What does it matter? And starting yeah. to lose that very visceral sense that the government... It should be treated as the enemy, that they are the, this invading force and you let them in to the house uh, at, at your own expense. And this is, this is something that people have fought and died for in the past and has been an extremely important part of uh, the history of certainly America and many other places. And uh, yeah. people are forget that history at their own, their own detriment. Yeah. What's really frustrating in the United States is the uh, the left-right paradigm, the Republican-Democrat paradigm. And both sides of the spectrum tend to trust their guy when they're in power. So, you know, when Obama was in office, we had a lot of really strong support for anti-surveillance initiatives from the right because Obama was in charge and Obama's going to come for my guns and Obama's going to do these horrible things. We've got to limit his power. Well, now that Trump's in office, those same people are like, all right, ratchet up the state because we got to get these bad guys and, and we trust Trump. Trump's going to do the right thing by us. And it's like, 
do you not remember three years ago? <laughs> and and uh, do you not realize that Trump's not always going to be the president and that every bit of power that you give him now passes on to whoever's in office next? And that's the thing I tell people. Hillary all the time. 2024, Don't, guys, you're, you're uh, giving yeah. her the power. It's the next most important election of our lifetime. Uh, but, you know, no matter who the, – the power is the problem, not the individuals in office. They're going to come and go. If we continue to allow power to expand, then the next guy or next gal is going to have that power. And you know, somebody said this. I think it's kind of funny, but it makes the point. You know, uh, you you don't want to give power to the government that you wouldn't want your ex-wife to ha- – that you wouldn't want your ex-wife to have. And and uh, I think you know that I have an ex-wife. That makes sense to me. Uh, <laughs> there are things that I wouldn't want her to be able to do to me. And uh, the point being is that again, you can't trust that the person that you trust is always going to be in power. They're not. At some point, the other party is going to be in. They're going to have every bit of power that you let loose today. I think the left learned that. Uh, but they haven't learned it, but they should have learned it when Trump was elected because then all of a sudden all this stuff that Obama was doing that, uh, you know, now Trump has control of this. Oh, my gosh. Ah! So, uh, yes, to me, that's, limit the power. That is also frustrating to watch. But um, and then I want to go one step beyond that. You know, actually, both left and right are really just, oh, oh well, I guess I won't break through that barrier quite yet. Uh, yeah, you're you're going to say two sides of the same coin. Yes, I am, because they are a statist and uh, they are uh, essentially trying to control you and your life when they should not. Absolutely true. Anyway, (laughs) we'll we'll take it one step at a time. We'll lead people towards that. Um, But let's talk about the work that you do at the Tenth Amendment Center along these very lines. Yeah, so uh, I encourage people to check out what we're doing, TenthAmendmentCenter.com. It's all spelled out. Uh, particularly go to the blog, blog blog.10thamendmentcenter.com. This time of year, you're going to start seeing a lot of bills introduced at the state level that are designed to limit federal power in some way, not just surveillance. It's just one of the many issues that we deal with. We've got legislation that deals with firearms. We've got legislation that deals with health care, legislation that deals with sound money, uh, of course, surveillance, marijuana, hemp, We've got some folks that are doing some stuff in terms of, uh, of FDA and EPA, uh, you know, environmental and, and food and drug. And, and so what we're doing is we're working at the state and local level to basically stop enforcement of these unconstitutional and draconian federal laws and federal acts and federal programs. Quit enforcing them at the state and local level, which is perfectly legal, by the way. And by so doing, make it much more difficult for the federal government to continue to enforce these laws. Uh, we've seen it work beautifully in, in the realm of hemp. Uh, you know, folks in Canada were much smarter about that. You know, you guys have been importing hemp to us for, for decades. Um, so we've seen this bottom up action work. We can apply the hemp and marijuana model to virtually any issue. And if you go over there to blog.10thamendmentcenter.com, you'll see all of the various issues. We've even got a bill that's that's really, I think, is, is one of the things I'm most excited about this year uh, that would prohibit a state from allowing their National Guard troops to deploy into a foreign war zone without an official declaration of war. Uh, it's a way to, to actually deal with the warfare state uh, at the state level because governors have some control over their National Guard troops. There's supposed to be a declaration of war. Congress hasn't done that since World War II. Uh, this seems rather poignant given the uh, current political, uh, geopolitical 
issues that are going on over in Iraq right now. So Exactly right. Um, and I know you just, were recently on the Foreign Policy Focus podcast with Kyle Anzalone discussing this. So I'll include that link in the, the show notes yeah. for people as well. Excellent. So, Lots of great work going on there. I hope people will be uh, keeping uh, track of everything you're doing. I'll, I'll be doing the same. And hopefully we can have you on for updates on these issues in the future. Yeah, definitely keep uh, keep me up to keep me up to date. I'll keep you up to date. You keep me. We'll in keep mind each other so up, to date. up to date. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we'll keep the audience up to date. All right, absolutely. That's <laughs> let's leave it there for now. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, man.